0: Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives podcast. I'm Adam Turtletell from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from the Italian Alps is Vera Chiripanova. Vera is founding partner at Studio Etica. And today we're going to be talking about some new legislation uh, coming out of Europe that compliance needs to be aware of. First, Vera, what does the EU Directive on Combating Corruption provide?
1: Hi, Adam. Hello boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, signori, signore, if you're listening to us from Italy where I'm based, let me start from saying thank you for inviting me to your podcast and I feel privileged to be with you today and talk about the things that matter to ethics and compliance professionals. Now, to your question, Adam, this is a great question indeed because as we see, the EU, the EU Commission and the EU Parliament are very, very busy in terms of policy making right now on many fronts. The Green Deal has brought many legislative initiatives in sustainability, including the CSRD, the CS3D, and the most recent proposal for the Green Claims Act. You may also have heard about the EU AI Act. The EU is set to adopt the first AI regulation in the world. And on the economic crime front, we are waiting for the adoption of the EU directive on combating corruption. Uh, In May, The European Commission proposed a new directive in the area of criminal law with the goal to harmonize and tighten the rules on uh, preventing corruption across Europe. It may come as a surprise, but up to now, the EU didn't have an EU-wide anti-corruption standard, but rather it looked like a patchwork with member states having their own laws and regulations on the national level. So we had some gaps closed, in the UK, we had the UK Anti-Bribery Act, in France, we had II. In Italy, for example, where I am, we have the Bribe Destroyer Law. But all of them have significant differences. So the plan is to establish the EU-wide Umbrella Directive with the EU-wide standard to fight corruption, improve cooperation for cross-border investigations and make it easier to uh, capture criminals by setting up dedicated anti-corruption bodies in all of the EU countries which is also not the case now the main driver behind all of this activity and this initiatives is of course the Qatar gate scandal in the EU parliament this story is still developing I'm sure you have heard about that and that's 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 behind that the this new directive so the uh, the commission suggests minimum standards to harmonize the definitions and sanctions for active passive bribery in the public sector, in the private sector. It gives uh, definitions to the related offences, such as misappropriations, trading and influence, etc. On a hot topic of senior executives misconduct, and I know that this is a hot topic in the US, for example, right now, following the DOJ um, uh, updated guidelines. So if committed by a leading person, a company can be held liable for corruption offences what's a leading person the the definition is very very broad this is an individual who's having a leading position within the company uh, based on having a power of representation the authority to take decisions on behalf of the company and or the authority to exercise control within the company so this is really broad this is not based on the org chart this is not based on you know uh, formal titles um In terms of the sanctions and penalties and the enforcement itself, uh, the EU directives always say that this this should be happening on a member state's level, and there is no exception here. So the enforcement will be happening on a member state national levels. Uh, The penalties for human beings may include imprisonment. The sanctions for legal entities uh, will include, of course, fines and debarment from commercial activities and the fines are expected to be no less than a 5% in the worldwide turnover.
0: And that's substantial. Now, what incentives are there built into the legislation for compliance programs?
1: That's a great question. And I don't think there are. there's gonna be you know, a lot of news uh, here because what the directive says is that effective internal controls Uh, ethics awareness and ethics and compliance programs to prevent corruption should be considered a mitigating factor, as well as the rapid and voluntary disclosure to the authorities. So I think it sounds pretty familiar to the US audience because it does differ a lot from what the DOJ is saying and how the DOJ is working. And I think it's very, very obvious uh, where this approach has been borrowed.
0: And do expectations uh, for compliance programs differ from what's been found elsewhere? Is a good compliance program still a good compliance program? It sounds as if it's broad enough that we shouldn't expect any new expectations on compliance.
1: I think... I think that you nailed it on ahead, saying that a good compliance program is always a good compliance program. So in terms of what a good compliance program for preventing corruption should incorporate, I don't think there are a lot of news. However, I would still alert the US businesses. Why? Because of the extraterritorial reach and nature of the proposed directive so according to the draft text the jurisdiction will attach if uh, one of the conditions apply now, what are these conditions the first the offense is committed on the territory of the eu or any member states this is relatively easy secondly the offender is a national on or has a permanent residency here and third and the most interesting the offense is committed for the benefit of a company established on the territory of the member state so all of this arguably is very very similar in terms of the framework to the one set out by the fcpa and i am i am very very interested how it's going to play out because if you look at the fcpa top 10 list you will see a lot of european companies almost exclusively you will see european companies and I'm intrigued and that, that's not only me there are a lot of people in you know a lot of discussions here right now a lot of people are intrigued how it's going to play out in practice will the EU quote unquote uh, vindicate the the DOJ for all these enforcement actions will will the European authorities target U.S businesses because the, there was a tit for tat up to now but the 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 doj was sanctioning uh european businesses for for corruption offenses and uh, as a tit for tat the eu uh, data protection authorities were sanctioning uh big big american businesses specifically the tech companies for the gdpr offenses will this change now that's interesting you we will see how it's going to work
0: It's definitely going to be interesting. Now, across the channel, the UK Parliament is currently considering the Economic Crime and Corporate Transparency Bill, as I understand it. What does it provide? Is it fundamentally different or very similar?
1: That's a great question. Uh, Well, according to press, according to the media, this Economic Crime and Corporate Transparency Bill could result in the biggest shakeup in the UK corporate criminal law in 100 years. At least this is what our headlines are telling us. The bill now has progressed through the House of Lords and it is in its final stages. And we're waiting for the Royal assent before the end of the year. And that means that the directive, uh, the the bill, I'm sorry, uh, is going to come into force in 2024, early 2024 or even, even maybe at the end of this year. So is it is it actually true this shakeup and you know the big headlines? I think it is because of two major points. First, the bill is gonna introduce the failure to prevent fraud. This is a new offense. This offense will make an organization liable if it fails to prevent a fraud offense from being committed, uh, where an employee or an associated person like contractor, subsidiary or supplier commits the fraud and the fraud is benefiting benefiting the organization. The offense will effectively mean that organizations will be liable unless they provide an evidence that they had reasonable procedures in place to prevent the fraud from happening. And this offense is going to have an extraterritorial uh, reach as well. In the course of the readings, uh, it was argued that that SMEs, that it was successfully argued that SMEs should not be in the scope of the directive. So right now we're talking uh, about uh, only large organizations. What do they mean by large? Large means that the organization has more than 250 employees. It has more than 36 million British pounds of turnover. Or more than 18 million uh, in assets in British pounds. That's point number one. The second revolutionary point, and I actually think it's uh, it's even more revolutionary than the, the failure to prevent fraud offence, uh, probably the most significant change to, is around the corporate li- the attribution of corporate liability or is the so-called identification principle so that the corporation can be held liable for acts of senior manager acting within the scope of their authority. In other words, if a senior manager has committed an offence, the corporate would be liable to prosecution as well. And this would significantly enlarge the pool of people who can create criminal liability for companies. Now, the current identification principle was established in 1972. That was a long time ago. And according to that, the the the, the, the uh, legal person can be held liable only if it uh, if, only if you approve the directing mind and will of a company held by the staff. The evolution and corporate uh, complex structures and governance models since the 70s made it practically impossible to prove the direct will and mind, at least very, very difficult. And this resulted in few corporate prosecutions and some very high profile failures among the prosecutions which have been tried. And I'm pretty sure that you all have heard about the serious fraud office missteps in, in, in the recent years on this front so the government's proposal means that companies will be held liable for economic crimes committed by senior managers and again as we have seen with the eu directive on combating corruption this is not the definition of a senior manager is not going to be based on the org chart and a formal um title but rather On the individual's roles and responsibilities within the organization.
0: So, what should organizations plan on doing to comply with the law?
1: For the record, we have already seen similar failure to prevent offenses in the UK law. We have seen a failure to prevent uh, bribery in the UK Anti Bribery Act. We have then seen a failure to prevent facilitation of tax evasion in the Criminal Finances Act adopted in 2017 so i uh, did we see a revolution after these two acts uh, were adopted well i can't really say about the criminal finances act because this is not my area of focus but in terms of the uh uk anti-bribery act i can say for sure that it hasn't brought massive enforcement but it sounded very innovative and revolutionary back in 2010. maybe that was due to the identification principle issues we have just talked about, or the CFO inefficiencies. Anyway, the CFO has now a new head and we will soon find out how the enforcement of the new law will play out in practice. That said, said, the proposed amendments would certainly focus the minds of boards and senior managers with responsibility for company activities. Increased training, internal supervision mechanisms are likely to be required to prevent senior management falling full of any new fraud or false accounting negligence provisions. And the compliance teams would need to closely consider who constitutes senior managers and fall within the definition in accordance with the new bill. As for the failure to prevent fraud offense, this will shift the focus from organizations as victims of fraud, the so-called inward fraud, uh, to make it easier for organizations to be prosecuted for fraud committed by employees or third parties that the organization works with or benefits from so-called outward fraud so there is a shift of perspective there is a shift of focus and large organizations falling in the scope should consider c- conducting a risk assessment to identify if an existing anti-fraud compliance program or, or framework that they have actually covers not only inward fraud but also the outward fraud the good news the good news is that the government will publish guidance on what reasonable procedures to prevent fraud mean and what they should look like uh, and the guidance should should be published before the offense comes into effect
0: Well, it's a lot of changes happening and probably a lot yet to see in terms of how things will evolve and what, of course, the enforcement will be. Vera, thank you for sharing these insights with us. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletel from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.